Good morning. Kind of quiet, not as many people here. That's probably a good thing with the COVID thing going. Uh, we are really glad that you are joining us online. We're, I'm really glad, especially for those of you that join us in, in person uh, as well. And just for you that are online, when we're in person, we maintain social distancing and masks and all that, because it's really important that we keep everybody safe because we want when we return that no one will be missing. And that's just, that's just super important. Well, as has been mentioned, we are in Advent, which if there's ever been a year that I thought it was important to do Advent, this is it, because there is just so much going on in our, in our lives. And you've already heard that Advent is all about anticipation and waiting for the, the coming of, of the Savior. And so uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. The four themes are hope uh, and peace, joy, and love. And if ever there's a time where we need hope, peace, joy, and love, it's now. Amen. Amen. So a couple of things uh, that we've kind of mentioned. Uh, the series is going to be When we, God Seems Late. Uh, I don't know about you, uh, but in my experience, and I've walked with the Lord a long time, sometimes it seems like he's not on the same calendar I am. Amen? <laughs> sometimes he seems slow. Sometimes it doesn't, you know, uh, what do you do when, when God seems to not be meeting the need as fast as you think he should meet that need? Uh, and again, that's that kind of that whole Advent, Advent theme, and we're going to talk about that. So I would encourage you to join us uh, over Advent, especially if you're in that place of waiting. And I think we're all in a place of waiting at some point. I can't wait to get rid of this plexiglass. I'm waiting for that day. I'm waiting to get rid of my mask. I got, I got mine in my pocket here. You know, I, I'm waiting. I'm waiting till we can have church again. I'm waiting for us to be able to, to stand close to each other and talk and pray for each other. We're waiting. There's so many things we're waiting for. So during this series, we're going to do something we did years ago, uh, and that is uh, we're going to sync our lessons uh, for children, teens, and adults. So the children's church will be covering the same passage uh, as us uh, during this time, uh, and we're, we're doing that really specifically because we're a family church. We're all about family and family uh, and all of that, and there's something that can happen that's really powerful inside the family when we do this. We did this for a few years, a number of years ago, uh, and that is that we, we want to create conversations between parents and children. And if we've talked about the same passage, they'll get the children version, the teen will get the teen version, and you guys will get the adult version of, of the story. But, but it allows us to create that cross-generational conversation, grandma to grandchild, or kids to parents, or however you want to do it. And here's, here's what you want to do. You want to ask this question. Tell me what you learned in church today, Okay. And then you can tell them what you learned in church. Hey, we talked about that same story. Uh, and it is the conversation itself that is so, so uh, important for us. Uh, you share what you learned, uh, they share what, what they learned, and you create spiritual conversations across the generations. And we are all about uh, that. Uh, so let me give you some reasons why this is important. Number one, when you ask kids about what they learned in church, it communicates that what they're learning in church is important just by your asking about it. It establishes the parent as the one who teaches them about God. We come alongside you, but we get them for an hour on Sunday. You have them all the rest of the time, so super important that you teach them about God. It gives them a chance to ask questions that they may have, and there's no stupid questions, and kids ask all kind of funny, interesting questions, and sometimes some very insightful questions. It gives them new insights, and they're studying the same thing as you. That helps them feel grown up. It helps solidify the story in their memory and their heart, and it teaches them that mom and dad are on a spiritual journey as well as them. So I just want to encourage you, all of you parents, uh, talk about uh, the, the story. 
So this year, I think more than any year, uh, we need what this first season is about. And the first Sunday in Advent is all about hope. I need hope. (laughs) We live in a deeply broken world, have you noticed? And hope is what holds us together in the midst of that. Hope is the idea that that we can have a a better future. Hope for our our children. Hope for a vacation. Hope for love or for more family or or a better place financially or for grandchildren. Hope. We all have hopes in some way, shape, or another. And, And like I said, ultimately, hope is about belief in a better future. Hope is about belief in a better future. In, in theological circles, we call this God's preferred future, which means this is what God would like you to have, but sometimes we don't go down that road in some sort of way. And so hope is all about God's preferred future for, for your life and getting to that place. Hope is ultimately about this belief that someday things will get better. Yeah, I don't know about you. Have you noticed things have not been all that good in our nation over the last year at least, you know, during COVID? That it, it's just been tough. And hope is this, this deep, deep belief that it'll get better. And, and even if it isn't, doesn't get better for us, it's a belief that maybe it will get better for our children or our, our children's children. Two weeks ago, John Twitchell was here and talked about giving to the next generation, uh, creating kind of trusts and those sorts of things that will bless your children and your children's children. Um, my dad, when I was getting ready to go to college, he had always wanted to go to college, but because he had gotten off God's preferred future and lived a pretty brutal life, by the time he came back to Christ, the future that he had wanted couldn't happen for him. And so my dad would pick up all kinds of extra shifts so that his son and his daughter could graduate from college. A future, a hope that he didn't have, but he saw fulfilled in the next generation. And both of my children have graduated, and so it's a, it's a trend. There's, there's a hope about uh, that, that life will get better, even for you, but if not for you, for for your children, and that is worth giving our time and our energies to, our our resources to. So let me ask you, what do you hope for today? And for those of you who are online, you can maybe write it in the in the comment section of something you're hoping for. Any of you, and I, and I know some of these are like really personal, right? Some of you have things that you wouldn't maybe necessarily want to call out. Some of you have children who are far from God. And you, your hope is that one day God will bring them back. Or, or you have a broken relationship with your children. Or you have a broken relationship with your spouse. Or, or you, this, with your parents. Or, or maybe there are other things. But, but tell me, if you, just call them out if you have something you can say that you're hoping for this, this time of year. You're hoping all the Christmas tree lights will come on so you don't have to find that one that's not there. Anyway, hope for we. You should have been here when Kramer was doing this. It was crazy when he was working through that. We all have sorts of things. I, I am hoping that one day this plexiglass will go away. I hate it, you know? I, I am hoping that, that one day COVID will be gone. I, I'm hoping that one day we won't have to wear masks. We all have hope. But, but here's the problem. And I always struggle with this on this Sunday, and so some of this you've, you've heard before. But, but the English word hope doesn't really communicate what the Bible says about hope. The, the Greek word and the Hebrew word for hope are, are very different. In fact, here's the word. The Greek word for hope is elpis. Say elpis. Good. The Hebrew word, uh, the Hebrew word for hope is kava. Say kava. Yeah, ha. There's a ha in there. Kind of spray it a little bit when you say kava. The, the interesting thing is in English, the word hope is tentative. It's uncertain. It's hesitant. It's unsure. It's, it's provisional. In fact, the word hope we often use 
to describe an improbability or a long shot. So, like, if I say to you, I hope the Mariners win the World Series someday, <laughs> you all laugh. It's like, yeah, not this year, and not next year, and we, we use the word hope like that. It, it describes something that's unlikely, but we would like it if it would come to be. Um, and, and so, the Greek and the Hebrew, in fact, are just the opposite of that. Both of these words, words don't have a sense of tentativeness or, or uncertainty to them. They, in fact, have a strong sense of expectation, of anticipation of something good, and of confidence. In fact, the Hebrew word is really strong. The Hebrew word carries the idea of binding two things together. And specifically, it talks about rope. So in the ancient world, uh, if you had a rope, the way you made it stronger was you twisted it together with other ropes. And the more you twisted it together, the stronger the rope could become until you got a strong enough one that actually it could like hold a boat or it could hold an anchor or it could hold really big things. And so that's what this word means is that, that when you have hope, you have this strong thing that, that binds you to whatever that, that future is, the strong cord that, that can't be broken. And that there's no uncertainty in it at all. It's not about uncertainty. It's about expectation. So if I were to say to you, using the English word, I hope the sun comes up tomorrow, you'd go, why would you say the hope the sun? The sun always comes up until Jesus comes back. It's a certain sort. We just wouldn't use the English word like that. But but the Hebrew and the Greek word, they would use it like that because it's a sure thing. If it's in the middle of the night and it's dark and and, and you're in danger, you, you hope the sun comes up. You hope the sun comes up. It's not that it's not going to come up. It's that you want it to come up as soon as possible. It's a for sure kind of deal that, that, would, that would happen for us. There's a sense of anticipation. Or, or for me as a kid, when, when I would go to my grandma's house, I hope grandma gives me a hug. That was a sure thing because she would like hug me immediately and pinch my cheek. Any of you have a grandma that pinched a cheek or an aunt or somebody? Yeah, my grandma pinched hard, too. It was like, ow, you know. That's hope. That's a sure sort of thing. It's about timing rather than uncertainty. It's going to happen. We just don't know exactly when it's going to happen. All of those expressions on the way to grandma's house. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? You know, it wasn't that we weren't going to get there. I was just, we wanted to get there. So hear me, church. God's hope is a sure thing, absolutely a sure thing. And so our passage this morning is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. If you have your Bibles with you, that's in the Old Testament, or uh, if you have it online or however you want to do it. And I want to kind of set this up, because you need to understand the words we're about to read, right? So what, what's happening is it is very dark times for Isaiah and for his people, for the children uh, uh, of Israel. Their kings, and they, had, they lived in a kingdom, so you followed the king. Their kings have led them into to bad times. They've gotten away from God's preferred future. They've, they've done what God told them not to do. And really bad consequences have come of that. They've followed their kings into a desperate situation. And eventually, the, the, uh, the, the kingdom of, of, of Assyria invaded Israel. And so the northern kingdom of Israel has fallen to the Assyrians. There's a northern and there's a southern kingdom. And, and, and the people have been taken into exile, and there's been a puppet dictator put in, in charge of that, a vassal state. And, and, 
Um, and, and at first, it, it, there's kind of this vassal state, and it kind of works, and some people are gone, but they're under the oppression of, of the Assyrians. But, but eventually, in Isaiah's time, actually, the northern kingdom would be completely wiped out. It, it, it'd be nothing. There's just nothing there. Everybody's gone. There's no commerce. There's, there, there's nothing except for just a few people living here and, and there. And, and in the southern kingdom, when he first wrote these words, probably they haven't been taken over, but they will be. Eventually, the southern kingdom will be, be subjugated to uh, to the Assyrians uh, as well. And so it is as bad as it gets for them. Can you imagine having, a, have, having China or Russia take over our, our country and, and exile people? And, and during the war, you would have lost loved ones. They, they had lost loved ones. Some of them had lost their whole families. Uh, their, their way of life had been destroyed. There was no way to make a living anymore. And, and, and so it was bad. It was really, really bad. In fact, I always think of this as kind of a po- post-apocalyptic vision. If you've ever watched kind of post-apocalyptic movies, you know, and they kind of have the city that's all broken down and parts of the buildings are down and there's like dust everywhere and garbage everywhere and the wind's blowing through it. And it's just, that, that's kind of what it was like, especially for the northern kingdom and, and eventually for all, all of them. All hope is lost. They, they've been consumed by the Assyrians. They think their people and their culture will, will never rise again. They'll just kind of blend in into the Assyrians. And into that situation into that dark, deep despair that the Israelites would have had. God gives a promise. He gives them hope, and he does it with with these words. He says to them, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. Praise God, he's got the government. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah looked down through history and could see what was coming eventually in Jesus, and he said these words. I I want us to read this together because this is such a great promise of hope. Let's read it together. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You can imagine what those words did for a people who were in that situation I described who were oppressed in the midst of this. They, they, they were in a situation where they could not possibly deliver themselves. It was impossible for them. But Isaiah gave them the hope that came through the prophecy that someday, someday a new king would be born. A king unlike the other kings that they had followed, that they had followed into disaster and destruction. A king that would would rule in a different way, that their their foolish kings would be gone, but this king would be called Wonderful Counselor. And the image there is is of of both a wise and good king that that has the wisdom to do the right thing and, and has a heart to do the right thing for the people. What a difference that would be. Not only that, but he would be an everlasting father. And there's this wonderful fatherly image in Scripture of a man that cares for his family and protects his children and and gives them wisdom and guides them so that they can be successful in life. And and the image here isn't just that that he would be this for this generation, but that he would be the the everlasting father. He would be the everlasting father for your children and for your children's children and your children's children's children. And the God that would deliver you is the same God that will watch over your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. Somebody say amen. Maybe I'm just new to being this grandparent thing, but I find great hope in that. And I know my dad and my grandparents did that the God that they served would watch over my dad and my mom 
and that now that they're in heaven, that same God watches over me. And I have hope that that same God watches over my children and over my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren. What a great faith we have. What a great hope we have in, in Jesus Christ. And then it goes on to say that he is the, the, the prince of peace, that instead of war and conflict and anger and revenge, there will be peace. We're going to talk about that next Sunday. The theme is peace. And I can't imagine what they must have felt like when they heard these words. I mean, for me, even hearing them now, I, I, I would just think, sound the trumpet, strike up the band, let there be dancing in the streets and, and running and, and celebrating and all of those sorts of things. Because although we are under persecution, although we are under the boot of an oppressive government and we don't have what we want and we are slaves in the midst of this, one day a king will be born that changes everything. And that's hope. That's the Hebrew idea. The good news is this. God has promised that one day things would be different. Amen. Praise God. Somebody say something out there. The bad news is not today and probably not tomorrow either. You see, biblically, hope is about waiting. I hate waiting. I am not good at it. Anybody good at waiting? Every once in a while I bump into somebody that's like real patient. And that, that's just, that's not my thing, okay? In fact, nowadays psychologists have a, a fancy word for it that makes it sound clinical. It's called delayed gratification, okay? I was never good at delayed gratification. In fact, on a sermon a few years ago, I played, played you the tape where they give them like M&Ms, and if you don't eat them, they'll give you more later, you know? I would have been the kid that ate all the M&Ms. I just, it's hard for me. Now imagine for Israel, they, they did not see this fulfilled in their lifetime, in Isaiah's lifetime. In fact, they would wait for hundreds of years before God would fulfill the promise, before the, the new king would be born. Oh, and occasionally God would raise up a prophet that would remind them and try and get them back on track, and remind them it's worth waiting. But it's hard when you have to wait generationally for the fulfillment of God's promise when it doesn't get filled in your lifetime, that it gets filled in the next generation, the next generation. And by the way, this is really good news for some of you who are waiting for a child that is far from God. You may not live to see that child come back to God, but keep praying. Because your lifetime is not the, 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 click, the, the clock that God is on. He's on a bigger one than that. And then get this, the last 400 years before Jesus showed up, there was no word from God, not a prophet that raised up nothing. It was utter silence. And still they waited. I mean, you think about this. Any of you ever like called tech support and they put you on hold for like 45 minutes, you know, and they play the same song over and over and over. Am I the only one that's had this experience? Ah, oh, it's so frustrating in all of that. Now imagine for the last 40 minutes of that call, the music goes away and you're not even sure you're really connected anymore. Do I hang up and call again? But if I do that, then I'm going to go to the back of the line. We've got to start all over. Do I keep holding on to this? What are you, what are you doing all that? That's what happened to Israel. What kind of hope is it that they would hold on for hundreds of years and generations, even though for the last 400 years they couldn't even hear the voice of God? The Hebrew idea of hope is strong so strong that it would sustain them for generations and generations when, when they couldn't see it. It, it, it. It's the opposite in some ways of the way we use hope today. 
It's absolutely sure. In fact, sometimes I think I should just stop using the word hope in church because the way English makes it, it's, it's just really not what's being talked about in Scripture. You see, ultimately, hope is about how we wait. Not just that we're going to wait. They were in exile. They were under the oppression of the Assyrians. They couldn't do anything about it. But it was how they went about waiting. And, and I understand that sometimes impatience is good. You can get things done sometimes that way. But when you have no control, how you wait really, really matters. And I don't know what you're waiting for in your life. Maybe it's not big things. Maybe it's really big and really important things. But how you wait is the key to hope in, in our lives. I mean, we can wait lots of different ways. You can lie down and give up and die. There's actually some research that shows that, that when you give up, that you, yeah, it's not good. We, we can get angry and do something about it that's destructive, you know? Ever seen anybody punch a hole in sheetrock? Don't confess and don't look at anybody, okay? You know, it, 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 tired of something. You, we can try to take control, but usually when we take control, we drive it in the ditch. We can mope around and bring everybody else down. Boy, I've met a couple of people, I thought that was their spiritual gift, man. They just... There's lots of bad and unproductive and unhealthy ways, even destructive ways to wait. But one godly way, just one way, and that is when we plant our feet and our faith firmly in this truth, I trust God. I trust God no matter what. I, I trust God when I, when I can't see it. I, I, everything else is about trusting God. I, I trust God when he doesn't fulfill it in my generation. I, I, I trust God when it doesn't work out the way I want it to work out. I, I trust God when I look foolish or people make fun of me. I, I trust God even if the promise is, is not for me but for others. I, I, I trust God even when it's, I can't see it and I don't understand it. I trust God. That's what the children of Israel did for generations and generations. I trust God. Dad, when is, when is the new king going to be born? I, I don't know, son but I know God has promised, so I know he's coming. And then that child would grow up only to have his children say, Dad, when is the new king going to be born? I don't know, son, but I, but I know we can trust God. And, and then the next generation grows up, Dad, when is the new king going to be born? When? I don't know, son, I, 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 I can't tell you, but, but I trust God. Say, I trust God. Yeah, no matter what, I trust God. Oh, it, it's the essence of, of what we are about. Because we ultimately believe that God's promises are worth waiting for. Amen? They're, they're, they're worth it. 2,000 years ago in a village in Israel, a baby was born to a couple of teenage peasant parents. Other than some shepherds, no one really took notice of it at the moment. They had more important things to do. There was a big government push on to, to get a census done. There were important people moving around doing important things, and, and they had to get stuff done and take care of things. And, and, and yet the most important thing that we know about that era is the king was born. <laughs> the new king with a different heart and a different way. Their time sounds a lot like our time. Let, let, let me give you kind of some some things about what it was like then. See if that doesn't sound like today. They were angry at the government. Yeah, somebody wanted to say amen right there, I know. They were living under oppressive occupation. I'll let you decide about that. The government was making them do things they didn't want to do. It was intruding into their lives. It was disrupting businesses. Taxes were high, and the whole point of the census was so they could make the taxes higher. 
Poverty was rampant. Discouragement was everywhere. All of life had been disrupted, and no one knew because they were so busy focusing on the circumstances that the little boy who was the king that would change the world had been born. And everything was about to change. No one cared. And, and, and this new kingdom that he was going to bring was going to be unlike any other kingdom. All the other solutions for the world were about treating the symptoms. Oh, if we could just get a new government, everything would be well. Oh, that government would be well. We'd get this one. If we just be a new, everything would be great. Oh, if we could just get a bigger army, we could handle the people around. Oh, if we just had better diplomats. Oh, if we just had a better tax plan. And on and on and on and on and on. You should read ancient history. I had a period of time where I was studying ancient Greek history. You know what they did in ancient Greek? They complained about their government. Somebody say amen. <laughs> okay, it goes on. Because that's never the solution. This king would come and would change us from the inside out. That would make us new creations. That would create in us a, a new heart. That would write his laws on, on our heart. He would make everything new for us. That we would have hope. And not only hope for this life, but hope for the life to come. We are going to live forever. Amen? And, and if you hate what's going on in this world today, I have good news for you. One day you're going to be in heaven and you're going to have the best government ever. Amen? One day you're going to have, there's going to be no more COVID. There's going to be no more recession. There's going to be all of the stuff that we think is so important. One day we have hope. And we think we're so persecuted because we have to wait for one lifetime. And the children of Israel waited for generations and generations generation. Here's why God gives us real hope. God's hope sustains us in the waiting. It's, a, it's our nourishment. It nourishes our souls in, in the waiting. It, it's, imagine what it was like for, for a family to gather around the fire a, at night and begin to tell the stories of the children of Israel and what had gone on. And then they begin to tell the stories of the coming king. So one day, kids, there's, there's a king coming, and he's going to be a completely different king. He's a prince of peace. There'll be no more war. He's an everlasting father. He's going to watch out for us. He, he's wise, and he's good, and all of those sorts of things. And one day, one day he's going to deliver us, and he's going to make the world different. Isaiah would prophesy later on, Isaiah 61. I, I just want to read some of this to you. I'm going to kind of skip through this, but... This is, again, prophecy about the coming king that would give people hope. Imagine if you're living as an oppressed people and you begin to hear these words. This is, um, begins with the, the king talking about himself. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Uh, he has sent me to, to bind up the brokenhearted. Brokenhearted? God wants to bind that. To proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. God's watching. To comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, which is God's people. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. That's a big change. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. The things that have been broken down are going to be rebuilt and restore the places long devastated. 
They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Everlasting joy will be yours. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. These people are slaves when they're hearing this. All who see them will acknowledge that they are the people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in robes of, of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For so the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seed to grow. So the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all the nations. Here's the best news of all. God always keeps his always keeps his promise. Not, not in the time frame we always like, but he always keeps his promises. The children of Israel must have wondered, is God ever going to send a new king? Is it ever going to come? But he did. And now we live in the after part of that and we get to see the Holy Spirit work and we get to see all of these sorts of things. And so therefore, we trust that one day God is coming again. Amen? And we don't have to worry nearly as much as they did because we already saw the king come once. We sometimes struggle with believing this sort of thing. And part of the problem is we always know the end of the story. You guys know the Christian stories. You know when I started into this sermon that I would talk about the fact that the king came, that the promise was fulfilled, because you know the end of the story. So it's kind of easy for us to forget how hard it is to wait and how important hope is in the midst. We forget that the Bible is a collection of stories who put the hope in God and people who did not, those two categories, and the way it went for one or the other. Truth is, those that put their hope in anything but God, it didn't work out so well. And in fact, when Israel put their hope in things other than God, it didn't work out so well for them. Hard, but God always comes through. God always keeps his promises. Let's say this together. God always keeps his promises. So, we wait for God. We don't wait for governments. We don't wait for armies. We don't wait for whatever it is financial times, a better job, we wait for God. Your creator, the God of all things and sustainer of all things, has absolute unlimited power, and he loves you so much he would die for you. That's a pretty good deal in a king. We don't wait for an army. We don't wait for any of that. But part of the reason we don't wait well is we put our hope in those kinds of things. Let us put our hope in God. Amen? We wait for God. Because ultimately, we believe God's got this. Whatever you're facing today, God's got this. You at home, whatever's going on in your life, God's got this. And one of the phenomena I know that happens in my life as a pastor is that what people say publicly is very often not the thing that's going on privately. It's always interesting to me when we do prayer requests in small groups. People will kind of share those sorts of things, but, but they only share the things they feel safe with. The place where they need the most prayer is something that's hidden something that they don't want anybody else to see. And I'm here to tell you that thing that's hidden, God's got this. God's got it in your life. And you can have hope. Not because you're smart or you're clever or you can work it out. Not because you have power. Not because any of those things, but because we put our trust in God and God's got this. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. And by the way, just one last thing. Hope is not the same as happy. When, when you're under persecution, you're not happy. 
but if you have hope, you can endure it. We serve a God of hope. For unto us, Son, King. Amen. If our, uh, Kramer, if you would, you would come, we're going to uh, sing in, in just a minute, but um, I, I want to pause and take a moment to pray for you. For you at home and for you here. Because I, I just know some of you are carrying heavy stuff. Lots of you are carrying heavy stuff. And, and I want you to have hope in the midst of us. Because one of the ways that the devil defeats us is he gets us focused off of God and onto the other stuff. And then we get discouraged and then he can trip us up. And so I just want to offer a pastoral prayer that God would imbue your heart. Father God, Lord, um, over the years, I've heard so many hard and difficult things. And I know in our church, a church our size, that there are lots of people who are struggling with lots of really, really serious stuff. And going into Christmas is kind of hard for some people, and they may have been dreading this. And so, Father, I, I pray that you would help us turn our eyes onto you, Lord. That if there's one in the sound of my voice that needs hope, that they would reach out and cling for it. Not, not the hope of English, but the hope of Hebrew. That is the absolute certainty that we're just waiting for what you want to do. Father, would you give your people hope today as you have done for generations and generations, Father. Thank you for the promise of the king, the boy, that would be a new kind of king, Father, that would bring a new kind of kingdom to us. May your kingdom come and may your will be done. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.